Good morning, everyone. I want to clear up something from uh, our lesson this morning. I got hung up and I brought something else in. In Ezekiel, it describes uh, the cherubim seraphim with four wings. In Revelation, they have six. The ones in Revelation, two to cover their eyes and face, two to cover their feet, and two to fly with. Why those things are different or distinction, I can't tell you. But when we get to witness that, it's going to be a wonderful thing. Okay, now to the sermon today. Uh, confession first. I'm a sinner. Every month, I feel like I need to say that this would be my last sermon. Purely because I'm a sinner, I'm a great sinner, and I'm not worthy to stand here. I believe that with all my heart. But I also know that God will make me an able minister, and it's not my flesh I want you to hear. It's what the Spirit reveals to you through the words today. And my prayer is that this reaches you in some way. And my flesh is not interfering with what I have to say. We're going to start out with 1 Peter 4.18. Because partly this, this sermon is about pride or prideful people. We know that in Proverbs... Uh, uh, it says that pride's an abomination. And there's sometimes that I feel, listen carefully, prideful people disgust me. I want you to listen to that. How many people found something wrong with what I just said? Prideful people disgust me. You should be raising your hands. It's okay, right? Can I make that statement and be in the right position with God? No, because I have nothing to brag about. Being a sinful person myself. Having nothing, nothing to offer God. There's no reason... He should look towards me. Not one. So when I have that feeling, and I do have that feeling a lot, it, it, it irks me. Prideful notions. But immediately when that thought's there, I have to come back to myself and think, you fool, what are you thinking? And we'll get to that in a minute. First Peter four, eighteen says this. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Man, all those ungodly people in the world. All those sinners out there. There's a problem with that thought too. Because it says, if the righteous scarcely be saved, who are the righteous? Well, I, I see righteous people right here. But it's not you, it's not your skin, it's not your action, it's not the things you do or think. It's not how you walk of your own volition or own flesh that's righteous. 
Because it also says there is none righteous, no, not one, which includes us. So then the question is, who are the righteous that can scarcely be saved? Because if you unwind this this verse, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? All the ungodly and all sinners, all would appear before God in judgment, all would be judged, all would be doomed, and all would be sent to the place prepared for the devil and his angels. All. But, because Christ intervened as uh, following the direction and command of God the Father, came to live with us and gave His life for us. And then the Holy Spirit was sent as a comforter to move among us and within us to show us wonderful things and allow us to be clothed upon with the righteousness of Christ, which that's all I want. Because again, I have nothing to offer. No reason that God should look my way. Scarcely be saved. The righteous scarcely will be saved. Barely. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Well, who is it that will be saved? It's estimated that... Well, we have 7 billion people or so on the planet. People die every day. People are born every day. The population continues to grow. It's estimated that about 100 billion people have existed... Since day one. That's a lot of people. All were sinners. All deserved absolute judgment. None deserved to be with God. None. Again. But God in His infinite mercy and grace and wisdom chose to save some. You can call it many if you want because there's a lot that will be saved. But out of all that have lived, just a remnant, a small, scarce number. Does that mean that God can't save everyone? That Jesus doesn't have the power to save everyone? I don't believe those things are true. So He chose His own out of all. Why and how, don't know. I brought that up many times. But it's a wonderful notion to think of that God loved you and shows mercy to you. But this is where the pride thing comes in. Does that set us in a position then where we can have pride in talking about others? No. I learned a lesson from... A drunk man who's an alcoholic visited our church. Uh, breaks my heart thinking about him. I saw him in the back row. Kind of came in quietly. He was one of those that wasn't quite dressed like the rest of us. He wasn't, I can see just from looking at him, he wasn't a churchy kind of person. And we have a way of judging people like that based on what we see. 
But I had an encounter with him after church and talked to him. And all he could do was reach his hand in his pocket. And I knew he was holding on to something. We chatted for a little bit and I could tell he was under the influence. But he was also broken hearted. And I think of how it happened. I think I asked him what was in his pocket. And he pulls out one of those little New Testaments. All beaten up. He'd had it in his pocket. Had to be for years and years and years. All he wanted was mercy. Someone to listen. Someone to talk to. Someone not to judge. I gave him a ride home and we talked at length. And I think there was another time or two uh, I I picked him up for church and definitely another time or two I'd pick him up on the road walking to the station and back home. And I'd take him home. But you know who am I to judge? Him. And his faith. I had no idea what he was going through. His life's difficulties. But I know he was convicted. Was it a real conviction? I don't know. It's not for me to judge. But I certainly welcomed the time to talk to him. And I prayed for him. He prayed with me. And I hope that man with his little Bible found hope. I hope he found forgiveness. I hope he found God who can restore. Joel 2.32 We need to be careful with ourselves and who we encounter. You never know. But out of all the untold billions that have lived, a small part will be saved. Joel 2.32 says this, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call uh, on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Let's stop right there. There's a colon. All the call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All means all. All that call. Now we have to qualify what that means. And I know I've said this before, you know, just because people get upset or in a car wreck or this or that, and oh God or oh Jesus, that's not calling upon His name. Calling upon the Lord comes after a heart's been broken and convicted and has a desire to change. And if not the flesh that came to that choice, decision, or moment anyway, it has to be the Spirit that drives the person to call and to call in truth. A lot of people will call upon the Lord. You know, it's said that there are no atheists in Trenches and wars. I believe that's true. I've never had to spend that kind of time in, in battle or uh, really in a scared moment or, or things like that. But I'm sure that certain circumstances will put you in a state of fear to call upon God. Does that mean it's all in truth? I don't know. I certainly hope that positions like that, it's a, it's a true moment. 
But I believe that true moment comes when you come face to face with your sin. And you know what you deserve. And you know that there's only one person that can save you from that. Jesus is His name. And when you call upon Him, that's when joy and happiness and restoration and all those things are brought into existence in your life. Does it mean everything's perfect from that moment on? In fact, some things are going to become very difficult. But it gives you peace. Well, when God calls, does everyone respond? Now, that's a tough question. I can tell you that His grace is irresistible. But you're going to find things in the Bible that people rejected God, rejected His call. We're going to get in trouble here if I go too far without explaining. The creature... Us, we have neither the power to choose God or the power to resist God. I can't explain that very well other than I know that it's absolutely true. God's arm is not so short it doesn't have the power to save. But it has to be God choosing you, instilling the Holy Spirit within you to we to even enable you to see. To hear. To walk. We're all blind. We're all deaf. We're all lame. Our flesh is weak. Doesn't know how to do those things. But God can make you a new creature. And bless His name for that. He can open your eyes. Open your ears. Cause you to walk. Do you always walk correctly after that? I'd say no to that answer. Or the answer to that is no. We still stumble. We still fall. But the Holy Spirit gets you back up. You make corrections and keep going forward. God's children will answer. It's called irresistible grace. I believe that with all my heart. I don't believe the creature has any part in salvation. I don't believe for a moment that our faith, that is a substance, is of ourselves. Can be. The Bible says it's not. Christ is the author and finisher. Of our faith, mine and yours. And that's what we have to believe and that's the way we have to look at it. It didn't come from us. Grace described. We're going to go to Psalm. We're going to be in Psalm for a couple of verses and we're going to go to Romans. Psalm 86.5 Psalm 86.5 says this, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Again, we're back to, well, 
Who's the them? Who are they? All of them to call. And I believe it's those that call in truth as moved by the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not a fleshly thing that we move towards God. God moves towards us. Even this morning uh, during the, the study, I talked about Hagar. And go study that and look at it. Hagar's mother of Ishmael. Ishmael was the father of all these nations that we're having difficulty in dealing with now, or many of them. And uh, God visited her in the form of pre-incarnate Christ, in my opinion, and talked with her. And she said, it's a wonderful statement. I've seen the God who sees me, and I'm paraphrasing, but He's the God who sees me. She knew who it was that was talking to her. It had to be God revealing that and the Holy Spirit revealing that to open her eyes to be able to see that thing. This is Hagar. Again, that's a whole other lesson of itself to study and look at that. But God sees you. He sees me and my mess and my sin, my weakness, my frailty, my lack of wisdom. I demonstrate that all the time. Please go to one Psalm one forty five eighteen. Here's the qualification of this. Can't just say his name and you're saved. Doesn't work that way. Psalm one forty five eighteen says, "The Lord is nigh." Near unto all them that call upon Him, and to all that call upon Him in truth. So there's the qualifier. Again, it doesn't mean the creature came to the realization of truth, then called to Him in that truth, and then God answered. It can't work that way. It has to be God that calls on you first and is the causation for you to cry out to Him for forgiveness has to be. We would never call. Righteous scarcely be saved. Where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Well, if we were all part of the ungodly and sinner till we were changed, we couldn't hear or have a desire to go to God. Romans 10. We're going to be back and forth a little bit in Romans, but we'll be there. It's not in order, is what I'm saying. Romans 10, 12. This statement or a similar statement occurs many, many times in the Bible. I don't think I captured all of them. <clears throat> Romans 10.12 said this, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. It is a wonderful thing to know that God extended love to the, the Gentile dogs too. That's us. To not just His people, Israel. And we also know that just because you're of Israel, that doesn't mean you're saved. All of Israel is not of Israel. 
says that plainly in the Bible. And all that means is, it's not by birth. It's by spiritual birth. Romans 5.10, back up just a little bit. Romans 5.10 says this, For if when we were enemies, stop there, when we were enemies, were you an enemy of God? You were. You still have actions that can put you in enmity or cause division between you and God. I don't believe that it can cause eternal separation. But all it really is just a testament to what we're, we really are. We're prone to make mistakes. We're prone to have issues of pride and sin and judgment and venom and all the other things that come along with the flesh. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God... By one thing. By the death of his son. Much more being reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. That Those last few words have a lot in themselves. That's an entire sermon. Shall be saved by his life. Well, I could add into that or describe that is... Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ that we studied this morning, gave His life after He came to planet earth and dwelt among sinners. And gave His life and was put to death and was raised again. Now sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us and being our advocate. So by His life being resurrected, by His life becoming carnal part of his creation and by his eternal life we will get to spend all of that eternity with him because of what he gave for us we shall be saved by his life 927 Romans we're still there again how many will be saved Romans 9, 27 says this, Esaias also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. How big is a remnant? I don't know. If we also apply that remnant to all that have lived on planet earth or been born on planet earth out of the hundred billion, how many is it a remnant? I don't know. Ten percent? 10 billion? I don't know what the number is, but I know there's a lot that are God's. There's a lot that He called upon. There are a lot that responded through the inclinations and movement of the Spirit within them to call upon the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord that you're part of that remnant. A blessing to be part of that group. Now, Romans 11. We're going to do a lot of reading here. We're just getting warmed up. Romans 11, verse 1 says this, 
I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite, seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Of course, it's Paul that's speaking here. And God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture saith of Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And we can say that verse today. Even so, at this present time, now, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Not according to the action of the creature. It's always about God's choice, God's foreknowledge of us. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. That is one exceptionally wise statement. If it was up to the creature to decide yes or no, because this kind of came up in, in the Wednesday night study about what the creature can or cannot do and, and other uh, 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 denominations that apparently have this feeling of being saved and not saved or saved and not saved. And again, I, I know I've said this from the pulpit. I would hate to be in constant jeopardy. Uh, which I would be. If I was saved, then all of a sudden if I sin, I'm not saved. I'd be in constant jeopardy. I, I would never know where I stood. So it has to be election by grace. It has to be by the power of God. It has to be Him that chose me and nothing of myself. Can be no other answer to that. If you have one, I'd like to hear it. Because I've been on the other side and had discussions from the other side and it never made sense. Even in a church that I preached on before and they were Southern Baptists, believe the exact same thing. It's not of the volition of the creature. It's by the action of God. And where else would we want to put the glory to for saving? But if it's not... Of him, it's not grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which uh, he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Okay. <laughs> we're going to get another territory that's very mysterious. The creature is called to action, is called to act on grace when it's applied. We're, and it says all what we reviewed here, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But why didn't they call? They weren't chosen. They weren't of the elect. I have no better explanation for you than that. Because it can't be of the creature, then grace is no more grace. 
But you're going to find many scriptures in the Old Testament about, and we just read some, uh, talking about Isaiah and others, that there were those that existed that were of Israel, but were not of God's Israel and chose. They did everything, killing prophets and slaying them and uh, killing the priests. That certainly is an example of those that weren't of God. But they were blinded. Verse 8, according as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear. Maybe I could add feet that they should not walk in the light of God. Because all, again, are blind, weak, weary, wounded, deaf, lame. I think I got them all in there. And David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. I can't explain that judgment in, in this statement. I don't understand it. But God has the ability to call those who are His, who He chooses. And He also has the ability and injustice doing, in doing so that giving them that position of stupor and lack of hearing and to remain in their blind state. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And this is the real point of this, this chapter, that through the failure and failings of the Jews, it wasn't, well, God had plan B, and then went to the Gentiles. It was always his plan. It was always decreed that there would be a door open to the Gentiles and that faith would be extended and wouldn't just be for Jews. So we have a New Testament. I say have they stumbled that they should fall. God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation came to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, what a wonderful thing to think. Because of the falling and God directing as His eternal purpose was to open the door for Gentiles, what a wonderful thing to consider. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. And there are Messianic Jews that live today. I've studied this a lot with different different things. Uh, Jewish, Jewish people do not like Isaiah 53. They know who it's about. There are other scriptures which they just don't like because of what the real uh, pure position of that Scripture is. That there are others. The faith and salvation was not just for them. Praise the Lord that He opened the door for us. For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office, and that's not in pride. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are of my flesh, and might save some of them. God's the most blessed provocateur there is. 
and allowed this to happen to provoke some to the truth. But we also know there were Jews in Jesus' time that believed. Joseph Arimathea and uh, uh, Nicodemus and probably others on the Sanhedrin court, not just those two. Because of the things that were done in secret uh, when they brought the court together against Jesus and left others out. So there were others that believed and recognized and knew who Jesus was. But I hope that many of them are also provoked to believe in our Jesus. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. If the root be holy, so are the branches. That's when it's kind of nice to be a lump. We're part of that. We can be called holy because of what Jesus does and did for us. Verse 17, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, we were grafted in. We're not a natural part. We were the wild branches. But there's a charge to us. Boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou that standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. That's why there's no room for anti-Semitism in the world. There are those that hate... uh, Israel purely and and, uh, some of the silliness of some of these people that call themselves Christian and they they hate the children of Israel, those are two incompatible thoughts. We need to have a love for God's people. Not condemn them. Where are we? Where were we? Who are we? I can tell you who we are. We started there. For if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? If we were ungodly and sinners, we're going to appear in judgment until Christ saved us and intervened. We have nothing to say. Nothing to boast about. No pride should enter. Have compassion on them. And pray that they are not part of the ones that were blinded or are blinded. That God would open the door. I'm going to go to Jude one seventeen. Jude one seventeen. But beloved, that's you, that's us. Remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own godly lusts. And we would be like them except by the grace of God. Except by the grace of God, there go I. 
These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. That can occur, though, without uh, the Holy Spirit inspiring you to do those things. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. I hope I made a difference in that man's life years ago. I hope he found what he was seeking for and was delivered from the things that he was up against. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. That's your garment. And I, I know I've mentioned this before. You just got the smell of smoke. You were this close. And I have my fingers completely together. You were this close for burning and being punished for all eternity. Except that God chose you, moved you by the Spirit to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So what's the difference between you and them? We're all sinners. But God intervened and showed us the way. And bless His name for that. But we should be even uh, hate the, the flesh, the, the clothing that has touched our sinful flesh. That's how filthy and gross it is. But that's not the way God sees you. When God sees you, as a righteous person, it's not your righteousness. We know that by Daniel. Even when, when Satan was before God and talking about men on Daniel, by Job, uh, the things I say sometimes. And there was a challenge. So, well, who's out there that believes in you? Have you considered my servant Job? Called him a righteous man. Job had problems. Job had pride issues. Uh, but God saw him as a righteous person. And even after all the things that Job went through at the, towards the very end, he says, now I see God as He is. He saw Himself as who He should be. Just that little sinful man that God loved. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling... Does it mean you're ever going to trip? Is that what this means? No. I think this means falling from grace, which is an impossibility. You're secure and eternally secure. To keep you from falling and present you faultless. Do we have any faultless people in here? No. But He presents you faultless after He's forgiven you and let you be, uh, to put on the, the clothes and righteousness of Christ and stand before Him. To present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Exceeding joy. Think about that for a minute. It, it, it pleased God to bruise His Son. It gave Him joy to put Him to death. To make Him a sacrifice for your sins. 
and then for Jesus to accept that, to drink of that bitter, sinful cup and become the curse for us. It made God joyful to do that. To send His Son to suffer for you. Acts 2.21 Here it is again. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. What's a whosoever? That's a whosoever, and that's a whosoever, and that's a... I see a lot of whosoever's out there. But again, the Holy Spirit called you. As commanded by God, you were drawn with an everlasting love, an irresistible grace. Something you didn't deserve, and that's why you should be humble. Not prideful. I have these uh, daily, I guess, little studies from Spurgeon. I I think that uh, Rick looks at them too, right? Uh, And they're wonderful things, and and they're always in the corner of my my, uh, Bible program on my computer. And today, this one happened to be popping up while I was doing these other things. I'm sure it was just an accident. Right? And I couldn't resist talking about this. I don't even remember what day it is because I'm not on the right day. You can go through literally and, you know, change your day by calendar, but I don't keep up with that. So this could be from April. I don't know. <laughs> but it, this is what caught my eye. You don't have to go there. It's Philippians 2.8 if you want to write it down. It's real short. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. Jesus is the great teacher of lowliness of heart. We need daily to learn from him. See the master taking a towel and washing his disciples' feet. Followers of Christ, will you not humble yourself? See him as the servant of servants and surely you cannot be proud. Is this sentence not the compendium of his biography? He humbled himself. Was he not on earth always stripping off first one robe of honor and then another until naked he was fastened to the cross and there did he not empty out his innermost self, pouring out his life blood, giving up for all of us until they laid him penniless in a borrowed grave. How low was our dear Redeemer brought? How then can we be proud? Stand at the foot of the cross. Count the purple drops by which you have been cleansed. See the thorn crown. Notice his scored shoulders. Still gushing. Within crimson flow. See hands and feet given up to the rough iron and his whole self 
to mockery and scorn. See the bitterness and the pangs and the throes of inward grief showing themselves in his outward body. And hear the startling shriek. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if you do not lie prostrate on the ground before that cross, you've never seen it. If you are not humbled in the presence of Jesus, you do not know him. You were so lost that nothing could save you except the sacrifices or sacrifice of God's only begotten Son. Think of that. Think of that. And just as Jesus stooped for you, so bow yourself in lowliness at His feet. A sense of Christ's amazing love for us has a greater tendency to humble us than even a conscious thought of our own guilt. May the Lord bring us to contemplation to Calvary. Then our position will no longer be that of the pompous man of pride. But we shall take the humble place of one who loves much because much love has been provided to us and we are forgiven by Him. Pride, pride cannot live beneath the cross. Let us sit there and learn our lesson and then rise to carry it into practice. Revelation 3.20 in closing. There's so much packed into this verse too. You hear a lot of things in in sermons and, and other, I was going to say contemporary, but that's not necessarily contemporary, but other denominations. Well, ask Jesus into your heart. Open the door. I don't have a problem with those words. Because if we read this verse, let's go read it first and then I'll explain more. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. But the creature that's on the other side of the door, if he's not enabled by the Spirit to hear, he doesn't have the ears to hear, eyes to see, or feet to walk. He doesn't hear it. I'm probably making a big noise on that new mic. <laughs> Wouldn't have the ears to hear. He goes and opens the door. What caused him to do that? It wasn't of his own will or volition. Moving the Holy Spirit caused that and to open the door. How would he recognize who was there? Unless it be given to the Spirit. It has to be. All those elements are there. 
There's nothing that contradicts any of the other things within people that believe in the doctrines of grace. Because grace is grace. It's not us. It's all Him. All I know is that I'm a prideful, sinful man. There's no reason that God should love me in any way or provide for me, save me. But I'm so glad that He did. And I long to lay prostrate at His feet And I've shared this before. And I know I'll stay there until I have enough courage to look up to Him. To see His face. Looking at at me with love, compassion, grace, and forgiveness. And welcoming me into His house. Not as a servant, but as a brother or a sister, as an heir, and we Gentiles there, heirs by adoption, and we get to praise Him in His holy name forever. No more will the flesh interfere with our walk. No more will the actions of the flesh cause us not to hear so well or see things clearly. We will have a true, perfect vision of our Savior and dwell with Him in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless you is my prayer.